0: a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Hello friends and welcome to the
1: Money & Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Mike Bernard, I am your host. Thank you for being with us. Like Jeff, I am also a certified financial planner, licensee. The Money & Meaning Show is all about helping you discover what matters most and then helping you get your actions and resources in alignment with your goals. We combine excellence in wealth management with the pursuit of meaning and purpose in your life. Jeff Renier is the founder, president, and chief investment officer of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, a wealth management firm in Alpharetta, Georgia, a suburb in the greater Atlanta, Area,
2: great to see you again, Mike. You as well. As we continue our monthly dialogue around important wealth management topics, and the goal of helping our audience create the freedom to pursue their unique vision of a meaningful, significant life.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's that's great. Last month we talked about life insurance. You mentioned that your themes month to month often come to you from that you're currently working on so how about this month is there something you've been addressing recently that we're going to talk about today
2: yeah actually there is and you know this is a topic that i that i think about a lot
1: okay so uh, why don't you set it up for us
2: okay so when building long-term financial plans and making long-term projections, the assumptions that we use are extremely important, as you as you know. Yeah. And so the capital market assumptions, meaning what are we going to assume for inflation rates and what uh, investment rates of return are, are we going to assume, can have a huge impact on the actual advice that we give. And so recently, uh, our software provider that we use to model these financial planning scenarios, these scenario planning, recently made some changes to their, to their software and how they modeled uh, you know, in, the, in the tool. And as we were evaluating these changes, we also took the opportunity to revisit the capital market assumptions that we use in the planning. Mm. And traditionally, I've been reluctant to use what I'll call forecasted returns in the assumptions, believing that these were just additional guesses right. that just added another element of uncertainty, because you're obviously you're you're making forecasts or guesses about future capital market returns and correlations and those kind of things. So it it has seemed to me up until now mm-hmm. that using historical returns with an across the board discount seemed easier to explain to clients and it was just fewer guesses. So um and I and, and I remember back, you know, back during the tech bubble, when the tech bubble burst yeah. you know, two thousand or two thousand and two, after that bear market, uh, and after the market already declined significantly, you know, many pundits or forecasters were predicting lower returns for the next five years or so. And it, it, it really got me to thinking that, that really didn't make much sense because after the market had declined forty percent, actually your expected returns should go up. That's right. Not down. Yeah. And so um so if you think about it, um expected returns are countercyclical, right? So they go expected returns go up after markets have gone down, and expected returns go down after markets have gone up. So it seemed to me if these forecasters we're making these kind of changes. Uh, it just seemed that uh, removing that risk in the modeling made sense, and we just used historical returns up until up until now.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. so how, how do these returns work in the modeling tools?
2: Yeah, so with the improvements in technology, um, you know, we've been able to adopt modeling tools that do a better job of predicting or, pro- or projecting the future and predicting future outcomes that are more realistic in how markets actually work. Uh, You know, back in the old days, when when you and I probably started, Mm -hmm. you know, we used these projected returns and we used a balanced portfolio uh, return assumption with zero volatility. That's right. It was the same return every year, no volatility.
1: Statistically impossible, actually. Absolutely (laughs) impossible. So
2: we know the world doesn't work like that. Yeah. So now with these more advanced modeling tools, you know, it allows us to illustrate and test uh, a set of goals uh, in a a modeling scenario that's more similar to the way the capital markets actually work. So what ends up happening is we get a wide dispersion of of, uh, potential outcomes. Mm. But you still need to make some assumptions about the midpoint return, about the mean return that you will stress test around. So now we use these new lower expected returns as the midpoint of the stress test instead of the historical returns that we believe may be a bit inflated.
1: Do you think the long-term averages are realistic long-term?
2: Y- yeah. Well, I mean, it's obviously it's impossible to know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can't really know for sure what the long-term returns for stocks and bonds are going to be. Um, but my sense is that over a thirty-year period or so, you know, the historical averages may be close. I mean, I think they may be a reasonable guess of the historical averages, and I, and I think this because you know markets are driven by people, hmm. and I don't think people change that much. You know, we we va- uh, you know we we vacillate between fear and greed, and you know, uh, so I think over a thirty-year period, we may get very similar returns to. to the historical averages over the last 100 years or so. But what we do know is that we know that markets are cyclical. Yeah. So you can have a long period of time of below average returns, followed by a long period of time of above average returns. So over a 30 year period, you know, you might end up with returns that are very similar to the historical averages but again you could have the cycles of lower returns for a period of time and much higher
1: so if the long-term averages may be reasonable guesses for the long term why why the change now?
2: Yeah, so th- th- this is, I guess, the first reason I'll just call because of Pascal's wager. Okay. I'm familiar with Pascal? N- no. Pascal? Yeah, told. okay. So I have to, I have to, you know, as you know, Mike, I, I steal almost all my content. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually stole this analogy from Harold Avinsky at Avinsky Cats. Yep. Um, and so Blaine Pascal was a 17th century mathematician and philosopher, and he devised this philosophical construct around really around probability and risk taking, but he, here's an analogy used. He said, if you believe that God exists, right, mm-hmm. and you lead a moral life, and you find out after death that you were wrong, that God actually didn't exist, your only loss was the difference between the fun you would have had being immoral mm-hmm. versus living a moral life. Sure. So you really had a finite risk. You didn't lose much, yeah. right? But if you lived an immoral life, and at the end of your life, at death, you found out God did in fact exist. Uh, you know, you you spend eternity in hell. Yeah, you lost it all. Right, you mm-hmm. lost you lost it all. So even if you weren't sure if God exists, you should live your life as if God exists, um, because the consequences are so bad. Uh, if you're wrong, okay, so far? So the reason that this is applicable to financial planning or wealth management is that there are risks that are low probability, but if they occur, the consequences are so serious that you should plan for them occurring anyway, Mm. right? So if you think about using these lower expected returns, so if we use these lower expected returns, and we end up getting the historical average, just higher expected returns, all that means is that um, you end up dying with more money than you planned, you leave a bigger legacy, or uh, maybe you don't take the extra trip that you would have taken or things like that. That's a finite loss. Yeah. But if we expect historical returns Mm -hmm. and we get these lower forecasted returns that we're expecting, you could run out of money and be broke at 70 years old or 80 years old or whatever. Exactly. That's a much dire uh, consequence. So so that's the one reason, right? Yep, yep. So the risks are, are there. The second reason, as I mentioned, since markets are cyclical, Even if we approximate that long-term average return over a 30-year period, well, if you've depleted the portfolio in the first 10 or 15 years because you had these lower-than-expected returns, you may never make it to the second 15-year where you get the higher-than-expected returns. So again, it's really just being um, pragmatic and and thoughtful about, you know, we may get these long-term averages over time, but if the intermediate term is so low, yeah. we deplete the portfolio, it won't matter.
1: Yeah, sequence of return risk is, is one issue there. Yeah, very, very insightful. So, you're taking a, a pragmatic and and very careful, prudent uh, application here, but um, are you worried about how some of your clients will react yeah, to this well, change?
2: Well, sure, sure. We, we absolutely are. But as a fiduciary, we feel it's our responsibility to advise clients with the best advice possible, even though it may not be what they wanna hear. So here's another another metaphor. Uh, let's say that medical technology advanced in such a way that a new test that couldn't be run in the past can now be run, and it indicated that you had a serious disease that was curable. But if it's not treated, it could lead to death. Hmm. Wouldn't you wanna know about it?
1: Absolutely. I mean,
2: I certainly would too, and so since it was curable, I would want to know about it, and I'd want to know the recommended treatment to cure it. So I think this is a reasonable way to think about this. Uh, So it's better to know that due to lower expected returns, we may need to make some adjustments as opposed to just ignoring them. So, you know, as I mentioned before, if markets exceed these new lower expectations, it simply means that you'll be more overfunded and in the future you could either expand your goals or reduce the volatility and so forth. You know, we sent out, a, a letter to clients explaining these changes, and I've I used this in the past as well. But there's a Keynes quote: John, uh, um, um, is it John Maynard? Maynard Keynes. Thank yeah, you, yeah, Mike. Yeah. John Maynard Keynes uh, has has a has a quote that he says: "When my information changes, I change my mind." What do you do? Ah. So I, I essentially I think the information has changed in my view.
1: So can you review some of the research that indicates that returns may be lower in the short to ter- intermediate term?
2: Yeah. yeah. So as as I tell my clients frequently, you know, the return of any investment is largely driven by what you pay for the investment. So if you buy something when it's expensive, your expected return is low and and vice versa. So the first point is there are uh, many, there aren't many inexpensive things right now. There's just a lot of things in the capital market that aren't cheap. Another element of expected return is the current yield compared to the price. Mm. And when I talk about the yield, it could be interest, it could be dividends, it could be earnings on stock. So that's another element of of expected return. What is the yield, whether it's a dividend, earnings yield, or, or interest? And so just look at bonds for a moment, if you will, because bonds are, are really simple, because really it's just math with bonds. So the bond math is, is not that complicated. So historically, the current yield on bonds uh, is a really good approximation for future returns. Yeah. So there's a high correlation between the current yield and the subsequent 10 year returns. So right now, if you right now, yields are between three and 4%, which is the current bond yields. So that's a pretty good guess about expect return in bonds right now. Hmm. Since 1990, Intermediate-term bonds have averaged about five and a half percent per year, so today it seems to me three to three and a half would be would be more re- realistic. Hmm. For equities, you know, you could look at the price-earnings ratio. Uh, you know, Robert Schiller at Yale developed something called the cyclically adjusted price-earnings ratio, the CAPE, yeah. which basically takes into account trend earnings instead of just current earnings. Um, there's a a measure of valuation that uh, Vanguard created that looks at changes in the capital markets, such as lower interest rates and stock buybacks and some of these things that mm. have changed. So they they do something uh, that they call a fair value CAPE or foul value. So there's different ways to look at this. But the mm. point of all of these is, uh, overall, they're all saying that at least U.S. equities are, In best case, marginally expensive, and in worst case, just obsessively expensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you mean when you say expected returns?
2: Yeah. So, I would define expected returns as what you expect your return to be on an asset class given the current environment. So given current yields, given valuations, given the historical risk premium. And of course your, your realized return could be much different. Mm-hmm. But based on current valuations and these historical premiums, this is sort of what you expect. And so you can think about the risk premium aspect of this as sort of building blocks. So for instance, short-term government bonds are considered risk-free, right? So mm-hmm. that's sort of the bottom of the, of the building blocks. As you extend maturities and go from short-term bonds to intermediate or longer-term bonds, you add interest rate risk and show you should be compensated for that. Sure. So you expect a higher return for intermediate-term or longer-term bonds over over short-term bonds. If you move into corporate bonds, you introduce credit risk because the bondholder is not the government. They don't print money, they might default. And so that's credit risk. You should expect a higher return for for taking on on credit risk and uh, finally since bonds um, stand in front of shareholders in bankruptcy uh, if you go from bonds to stocks Mm -hmm. uh, you're taking on business risk yep right so you should be compensated for that so stocks should pay you more than bonds Mm -hmm. because they are quote riskier so that's that's the risk premium that i was referring to so
1: you still expect stocks to earn more than bonds then?
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, but Because just as I mentioned, there's additional risk, right? Sure. There's equity risk premium over bonds. Now, the size of the premium changes over time, whether people are optimistic or pessimistic. Uh, but it is but it is positive there is a positive risk premium in stocks over bonds, hmm. but perversely um because of these lower expected returns, you know you may have to own more stocks yeah uh, in order to to meet to meet your goals huh. but I would certainly caution the audience, however that their plan should dictate the allocation, and they must be able to stick with the strategy. And you know, you and I have talked a lot about behavioral finance here. That's right. And so a suboptimal allocation that a client will stick with, in my view, is better than the perfect allocation. I'm doing quotation marks around yeah. perfect. <laughs> uh, uh, so, it, so a suboptimal portfolio they'll stay with is better than a theoretical perfect allocation that they'll, that they'll bail on. In a difficult, difficult market environment.
1: That, okay, so speaking of so, so should clients just give up on bonds then, if if stocks are going to provide a better long term return?
2: Yeah, and and of course we just mentioned the yep. expected return in bonds is is quite low. So no, absolutely not in my view. Um, so in a diversified portfolio, if done properly, um, you know you always have asset classes that quote underperform, and we play offense with equities in our few, at yep. least, and you play defense with bonds. You mm-hmm. play defense with fixed income. And so in an environment when equities do poorly, um, many environments, not all, but most environments, bonds do better than equities in a recession, as an example, when mm-hmm. there's a flight to quality. So the bonds still play an important role, and something to think about today is that rates are going up. The expected return on bonds is actually going up.
1: Yeah, so it's painful.
2: It's painful to get there. Yeah, but no, we believe that you should still have bonds in your portfolio to play defense um, from a portfolio context.
1: Got it. Got it. Can you give us some examples of what your research sources are using for expected returns?
2: Yeah, well, we use a lot. We we have we have a lot, and um, the software provider that we use also has some third party research that they that they that they use as well. Uh, so, most of our research partners are projecting, you know, two, two and a half percent for inflation mm-hmm. going forward, you know, three to four percent um, nominal returns, which means gross oh boy. returns for bonds, boy. Uh, and, you know, five to seven percent for U.S. equities, and a little bit higher for international and emerging markets. So, yeah, so not near as um, – uh, it's just quite a discount from the historical.
1: Yeah. So, in your opinion, what should investors do with this information then?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the bottom line is that investors shouldn't be using these stock valuations um, or these guesses i guess i should say to time the market right. i mean first of all don't don't use these to do what you we were just describing right. give up on bonds put it all in stocks or you know i just said ex- emerging markets have higher expected returns than than domestic today us equity so don't go load up on emerging market stocks uh, to the exclusion of everything else so don't use this as a timing tool however it is it is important for investors to take into account these higher valuations and lower bond yields as you build your financial plan and be prepared for the implications, and those implications um, may not be pleasant, uh, so you might have to save a little bit more. Yeah, you may have to spend a little bit less. You may have to work a bit longer. You may have to increase market exposure, as I mentioned. Uh, so there are some things you can do, but uh, the most important thing is you recognize that, in the at least in the intermediate term, mm-hmm. f- you know, uh, five to ten years, this is a potential reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, what sort of changes has Tandem Growth made?
2: Yeah. So, th- this idea of lower expected returns is not is not new for us. So we've, you know, we've been using these lower expectations as we build portfolios for some time the way we're using it in our modeling tools is, is a bit different. So, from a portfolio standpoint, we've really already evolved our portfolio strategies over the last several years, and we've done things that you and I have talked a little bit about. Um, you know, factor-based investing, yep. I think, is an opportunity to potentially um, improve. Uh, lowering cost is really important. You know, when you have lower expected returns, the internal cost of the strategy takes a bigger share of the return.
1: That's right. Yeah. So
2: lower cost, uh, uh, less trading, uh, which is, uh, um, obviously can increase cost, and uh, more tax efficiency, because again, that's a known, a known drag. Um, you know, when we're, doing, when we're using the equity portion of a portfolio, we want pure exposure. I mean, we want pure exposure in the equities. And then when we do have fixed income in the portfolios, we really want them to play to play to play defense so if the audience wants to learn a little bit more about the things that we do and, and how we build these portfolios it's available on our webpage page at tandemgrowth.com um, there's also four very short videos about evidence-based yeah. investing that we've talked about on that page and our blog i mean i'm sorry our podcast i think episode six and nine yep. we talked a bit about evidence-based investing and some of the some of these changes
1: that's actually very applicable as we've seen volatility increase here in, in the fourth quarter and so um, hopefully hopefully, you found today's discussion very helpful um, that's it that is it for another episode of Money and Meaning show with Jeff Bernier hope you found today's discussion helpful again if you want to check out uh, Jeff's blog or either of those previous episodes or any others feel free to go to www.tandemgrowth.com slash perspectives thank you very
2: much thank you Mike
0: Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or Mike or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the president and chief investment officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted, and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is to be factual and up-to-date. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors LLC does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors LLC does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party such as guests on the podcast and takes no responsibility for the same.